Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. Two weeks ago, I promised to dive into my own lowdown Q&A with a twist. And today, it's time to reveal the ace I've got hidden up my sleeve. To date, I have recorded well over 60 interviews, most of which have included an in-depth Q&A. As I answer each of the lowdown questions, I'm going to share with you a chorus of voices from the past and even a few future episodes that haven't aired yet. The goal is to remind you, once again, that no matter what your answer is to each of these questions, you are completely normal. You are not alone, and your needs, wants, and desires are perfect exactly as they are. So let's jump in. The first question is, do you have sex during your period? I'll tell you my answer at the end. Yes. Now that was something I came into as I got older. I used to, I used to be kind of squicky about it. He was always like, whatever, put down a towel. We got a shower. Um, I was always a little more eh about it, but um, you know, part of the opening up that my partner and I had was definitely, you know, going all in. And for me, it was dropping some of, some of the kind of shame and worry that I had about certain things. And really, accepting his acceptance of me because it was complete and it always had been. I just wasn't really able to accept that. No, because you don't want to because my husband doesn't want to. I was in college and I did the depo shot and I was on my period for like six straight months after I took that damn shot. And so, you know, who's going to go for six months without having sex. So we got really great at having sex on my period because I was on my period for like ever. And so now we do not shy away from that at all. You know, actually my husband kind of likes it and I, I kind of like it too because it seems like there's maybe a little bit more sensation going on. There's a little bit more going on down there. Yes. And in fact, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I noticed that orgasms are better on my period. Yeah. Like a spiritual experience for me. It's really awesome. So the big, big hell yes to that. I don't really have one anymore because I have an IUD. When I did have one, I did not though. Mostly, well, pretty much exclusively because I didn't want to because I'm a stormy monster who doesn't want to be touched when I'm a (laughs) (laughs) I've had sex on my period once. It was fine. Rarely. I just think it's gross and don't want to deal with the cleanup. Mm -hmm. I know he doesn't care. So it's not my preferred choice. Unless I'm having cramps. If I'm having cramps, then get the fuck away from me. Um, <laughs> like if it's a 
painful period, I'm like, mm, I know you don't care, and I know I like it, but get, give me some chocolate and run. I had an ablation when I was 45, so oh. I haven't had a period since I was 45. I, we will do some things, but no insertion because I just can't handle the mess. But it, otherwise, as long as there's not going to be a, a blood flow situation, then yes. Occasionally. My husband's totally fine with it, but I'm like, yeah, let's do it in the shower. I never did before for like my whole life. I didn't. But now with this current partner, he's just up for anything. He doesn't care about blood. I said, get a bunch of black towels. So he did. He has this whole collection of black towels. We just layered them underneath us no i'm i'm kind of a clean freak so i can't i just don't want to deal with having to wash the bed covers uh-huh it's one of the ways you can get rid of cramps if i'm like on my period then i would prefer to have like the vibrator i usually like it in the very beginning or the very end but not in the middle i don't really get a period anymore which is actually a whole other thing um, hormonally speaking, I'm kind of a disaster at the moment, but I did when I had it, as long as the other person was super, super into it, you know, as long as they really didn't care. Yeah. All the time. All the time. No, I used to, but or, there have been several times, um, when I had sex on my period and then my period stopped and it freaked me the fuck out. If I'm not all crampy. Yeah. It's not the first day, sure. <laughs> no, I think I may have done it once or twice, and it would be towards the end. But I don't know. It just seems messy. <laughs> I do. I actually really enjoy it. I tend to get very, very horny during that time. So yes, yes, and yes. No, my periods are very heavy and, and rather intense and I feel very tired. Mm. They take a lot of energy out of me. So there, there's not a I, forget sexual desire. There's not really a desire to do much of anything other than like <laughs> consume chocolate and, and live under a blanket. Yeah. Sometimes I, I use IUD. So the period is not that heavy. I've done it before and ugh, I'm not a fan. Oh, hell Yeah. <laughs> It's like the best time because it, you can feel so much and it's so much more open and lubricated. Yes, for sure. I feel like I get hornier, like right before I get my period. Solve for it. Make sure you don't stain anything. Give yourself more work. No, I do not. I think I would freak out. Usually no, um, though I told you we have sex in interesting ways. So we might, you know... We might not use the vagina, <laughs> but still do other things. <laughs> I'm willing to. Yes. Yes. If if the um, gentleman in question was willing, often they weren't. No. I think I still have this uncleanliness mm -hmm. hang up. Remember one time that I was on my period and my husband at the time was had his hand kind of down there and, and he goes, oh my gosh, I just touched your string. And it fe I felt uh, gross yeah. and horrible and it that stuck with me. Yes. Lots. Look, it stops when you're fucking, so it's fine. I think we did at some point long time ago. We haven't in the last five, six years. No, I haven't, but I want to try. I'm not opposed to it. It hasn't happened a lot. I did like it, but I also was like self-conscious about it. The person I was with said they really liked it. So um, that made me feel better. No, 
or at least not purposely. I don't like it. I first of all, um, I don't want to be the one to clean it after and I don't want anybody else cleaning it after. So I don't want to be in a hotel and leave that for somebody else. And I don't want to, you know, deal with the aftermath. I do. And that's new with this partner. With this first mm-hmm. time in my life, I've been I've actually enjoyed it is with my current partner. He doesn't judge. He doesn't get weird about things. Like he was just like, whatever. It's just blood. <laughs> whatever. Yes, actually, I tend to get incredibly horny the night before. Um, Yeah, put down a towel or put old sheets on and have a grand old time. Do I have sex during my period? Occasionally. This is a really new thing for me. I'm one of those women who learned to be ashamed of my period early on. In fact, my introduction to the concept of having a period is burned in my memory because it was so awful. It happened when I was preparing to go away to summer camp the summer before fourth grade. Apparently, the application had a question on it about whether the camper knew what a period was in case she got it while away from home. Rather than allowing my mother to have a sensitive conversation with me, my father decided to sit me down. At eight years old, all I really needed to know was that when a girl gets a little older, she gets a period once a month. It's nothing to be scared of. It's totally natural. And it probably won't happen when you're gone this summer. But if it does, you can go to a counselor and they'll help you. A little conversation about how to affix a pad to my panties would have been more than enough. Instead, My dad sat me down for an hour-long lecture about the mechanics of the period. Way more information than I ever could have needed or wanted at eight years old. But even that wasn't enough. In addition to making a huge production out of the lecture, he made a joke out of the words. Instead of talking about the mucus lining and bleeding... He kept referring to the muckus and the blued. Even today, almost 40 years later, the thought of that phrase makes me want to vomit. It was so incredibly invasive to have him talk about my body that way. From that day on, I dreaded getting my period. When I finally did get it around age 12, I ignored it. Literally, I denied it was happening. For the first couple of months, I was really just spotting. So it was easy enough, I suppose, to pretend that it didn't exist. But my mom did the laundry, and she knew exactly what was happening. So eventually she came to me and had a conversation about pads and tampons. But I was already so ashamed by what my body was doing that I completely checked out of that conversation. During middle school and high school, the cramps started. Sometimes they were so incapacitating that I had to lie down for the day. But my father's response was, get up and go out for a walk. It'll make you feel better. He didn't listen to me when I told him that standing up made me so lightheaded that I felt like I was going to pass out. He was utterly convinced that I was being lazy I wanted to scream at him. The first time you have your period, I'll listen to your advice. But until then, fuck off. But I never dared to say anything like that to him. I grew to dread my period. I felt sick and gross and dirty when I had it. 
when I finally became sexually active, there was no way in hell I was going to let anyone touch me at all, let alone interact with my genitals when I had my period. In my 30s, I remember fooling around with a man I was seeing. He wanted to stick his hand down my pants. I told him I had my period. He didn't care. For the first time, I let someone touch me there during my period. When I saw the blood on his fingers, I sobbed and got pretty close to breaking up with him right there on the spot. I'm not sure how he managed to talk me down. As I've moved into perimenopause, my periods have gotten blessedly lighter and shorter. Now, instead of bleeding heavily for eight days, I bleed moderately for about three days. The cramps still happen, but are merely annoying rather than incapacitating. And I've been involved with a few men who seem utterly unconcerned by blood, including my current partner. So occasionally, I push against my own boundaries. It doesn't happen often, but once in a while, we'll put a towel down and I'll let him enter me. There's something nice about the extra slipperiness and the feeling of extra fullness that only happened during my period. But I have a hard time letting my brain stay present because as much healing as I've done, there's still shame about this thing that my body does once a month, every month. So there you go. That's my first answer to the lowdown. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex 
to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Am I normal? 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 Because I'm sick and having surgery. How can I have sex ever again? Not feeling attractive by having surgery. So that's my question. Am I normal? Dear listener, I am so sorry that you're having to go through this. Going through health issues and surgeries is scary enough without having to worry about whether your body will be attractive enough to have sex when it's over. So first, yes, your concerns are completely normal. We live in a culture that is hyper-focused on how things and people look. We've all been given the idea that the perfect female body is 22 years old, trim, smooth, tanned, and without an extra ounce of fat. Anything other than that is derided as gross. But how many of us actually have that body? I'd guess about 0.01% of the population actually lives in that body. And even the lucky young women who do are obsessing about something that they think isn't quite perfect enough. So now we get into our 30s or 40s, and our bodies aren't perfect 22-year-old bodies anymore, if they ever were. We sag, we jiggle, we bounce. We have to push against cultural stereotypes and expectations to remind ourselves that we're still lovable. To believe our partner when they tell us they love us exactly as we are. To believe someone new could find us attractive. But then surgery happens and we have scars. Maybe we lose part of our factory-installed hardware, a breast, or a limb, or our hair. Or maybe something gets introduced, a breathing tube, or a wheelchair, or a colostomy bag. And you're left feeling so far away from that perfect image that it's almost impossible to imagine finding anything about yourself that you can appreciate. I've talked before on this podcast about how I went to a Jamaican sex resort a few years ago. I didn't have any sex. I just sat on the nude beach and looked at all the bodies walking around. There were fat bodies, scarred bodies, arthritic bodies. There was every kind of body you can imagine. You know what there wasn't? A perfect body. Not a single one of those sexy people took off their clothes to reveal a trim, smooth, tanned body without an extra ounce of fat. And yet every one of those bodies had someone looking at it with desire. This is where I began to shift my attitudes about weight and attractiveness and desirability. When I was surrounded by real bodies, rather than bombarded with images of perfect bodies, 
I began to see my own body in a new light. Now, I understand that the body image issues that I was dealing with are not the same as the post-surgery issues that you are facing. But I think there's a commonality in how we can train ourselves out of believing there is only one beauty ideal, and if we don't match it, we're utterly and completely hideous. So here's what I suggest. Instagram can be a toxic stew of influencers with perfectly filtered makeup and manicured living rooms. But it can also be a place to see less than perfect people showing up to normalize exactly what you're talking about. Whether it's normalizing an ostomy bag like Anne Lasiva and Ostomy Diaries do, or being in love and vacationing in a wheelchair like Naomi Fernandez does, or life after breast cancer like Lauren Elise Ox. Whatever it is you're dealing with, I can almost guarantee there's someone on Instagram taking you on a visual journey of them doing the same thing. This isn't about trying to fool yourself into adoring every inch of your body. It's about learning that the shape, size, and normality of your body is one of the least interesting things about you. It's a concept called body neutrality, and it's what I now strive for. In the show notes for this episode, I'll include the accounts I mentioned a moment ago, along with some of my favorite body neutrality Instagram accounts. I recommend you follow them and remember that your body is a vehicle for you to get around in, not a show car that's only saleable if it's in perfect condition. So let's leave it there for now. Do you have an am I normal question? Call 720-GOOD-SEX and leave me a message. It can be up to two minutes long, and I may answer it in a future podcast. Next week, you'll hear my interview with Jessica. She is one of so many women who've been told, you have such a pretty face. Now, if you could only lose 50 pounds. During her teenage years, she allowed that to define her perception of herself. Then at the end of high school, she discovered that there were cute clothes that fit her body and she could show off her curves and get attention. And that's just the beginning of the story. So tune in next week to hear Jessica. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com 
forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>